Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator. And Martha, the co-pilot. And once again, we are talking to you from our at-home studio. Two where months we, in a row. Where we are present in body, but not in mind. <laughs> oh, just a little. Having um, spent most of the previous night flying back from Ecuador. <sighs> yes, and even though there was not a lot of time change, as a matter of fact, For us, surprisingly not. enough, Quito, Ecuador is on the same time zone as Chicago. Flying overnight does take its toll. Even flying just four hours uh, is just hard on your body. Especially when you have eaten a bad thing um, somewhere, <laughs> some hours before you began your return trip. Uh, very galling since we had such a good experience in Ecuador in every way, including the food that we ate. We must have let our guard down a bit at the end and eaten something that we shouldn't have from a buffet somewhere, which has really done me in. So last month we left you with the thought that we were going to head to Ecuador for most of August, which we, of course, have done now. And we were going there to see uh, all of the sites that Ecuador has to offer, including the Amazon, the Galapagos, and the Andes, which is quite a triumvirate of interesting things to see. Uh, it incorporates the hottest of jungles, the highest of mountains, and some of the best wildlife viewing possible. So if you have a thought about going to someplace in South America, I would definitely consider Ecuador as one of the possibilities. And even though we had been to the Galapagos once before in our working days, I have to say that even at that point, Ecuador was not on our travel radar the way it should have been, and we want to put it on yours. It's really a fabulous country for tourists. As Ken mentioned, the topography is so varied. He didn't mention that it also has a wonderful tropical sea coast, which grows all kinds of tropical fruits oh, and yes. rice and coconuts and cocoa beans and all those Bananas, things you expect mangoes. in the tropics. And because it is a small country, you can literally have breakfast on the sea, uh, have lunch in the Andes Mountains, and then be in the rainforest for dinner, driving your own car um, the entire day. It's not something we would recommend, but it gives you an idea of the varied things that the country offers in a relatively small space. So, with that said, uh, we hope that you did not tune in for a lot about RVing. Because we are not thinking about <laughs> RVing. We're hardly thinking at all. <laughs> oh, that's, that's, isn't that the case? We are uh, thinking about overseas travel, and this month will be mostly about that. You are listening to the RV Navigator for September 2019, episode two, uh, 173. Two, 2000, when I love that. Episode 173. And, of course, we would like to tell you about our advertisers. Oh, we don't have but any. we don't have any advertisers. And, of course, that's why you listen. We don't take any uh, stops for talking about uh, products to sell because we don't take any advertising. And if you we, are sponsored by us. us. And if we do endorse something, it's because we really like it. Or we don't know anything about it and we just recommend it, which is going to be the case with the show. 
<laughs> well, it depends what topic we're talking well, about. Well, some of the products are just kind of interesting, but uh, we're not necessarily recommending them. This worked out quite well for the RV Navigator because we're both doing both bookends of this month uh, at home. At home. And so we didn't even take the RV Navigator with us uh, on our trip. But we did meet some interesting people on this trip, and we want to give a couple of shout-outs. And some of the interesting people we <laughs> kind of knew about because we signed up for this trip together and kind of brought them with us, which made it even more fun than usual. We want to say a big shout-out to Wendy and Wally, uh, who live in the Seattle area, who we met for the first time camping side-by-side in Tucson. What a wonderful way to meet new friends. And Keith and Susan, who live in our neck of the woods in the Chicago suburbs, and we have traveled with before with great success and fun and are excited that they're already planning another trip with us. And And we also want to say a shout-out to to Bruce from New York City, Manhattan. Who probably will never do anything RVing again. Ever in his life. (laughs) Ever Um, in his life. But he said he would listen. At least once. We enjoyed traveling with him, and so hello, Bruce. Uh, why you're listening to this episode, we have no idea, but we hope that you are. Anyway, uh, we flew uh, from Miami to Quito, which is about a four-hour trip, which is nice. It's not like going overseas, uh, and if you could do it during the day, it's really not all that much of a of a flight. But um, for some reason, nearly all the flights to and from South well, America are in the middle of the night, which well, I really because they got to get their planes back to Miami. But well, it seems uh, like one way you could be flying in daytime and the other way. Back well, we were we we got there about ten o'clock at night. Uh, we were tired. Yeah, well, that's the way it goes. We arrived in Quito, uh, which is the capital of Ecuador, which is very high. And I, <laughs> I tell you, I noticed it right away. Get off the plane and you start walking up that rampway. And it, it, because it's at 9,000 feet, which is higher than Denver. Uh, which and then you consider- only go up from there. <laughs> oh, do you ever. But it's a very beautiful city with uh, surrounded by volcanoes and snow-capped mountains and lots of things to do in terms of outdoor activities. And a moderate dry climate, very comfortable place to be apparently year-round. The name Ecuador. It's on the equator. Uh Aha. The equator goes right through the middle of Ecuador, hence the name. And I think it's the only place in the world where the equator goes through that isn't tropical or water. And it was, I was glad I took my warm weather clothes. There were days I, I there even there wore days, my gloves. We we had, we didn't have any snow, but we had certainly cold weather uh, in the 40s and 50s. When we're up in the Sundays. Andes. But when you're at 13,000 feet, that's kind of uh, what you have to expect. And we did expect it, so we did bring our warm clothes. But at the same time, we also went down to the Amazon and were steamed to say the least when we read about this trip and trying to prepare for it uh, they warn you about the altitude and as exceedingly old people we wondered if it would bother (laughs) us our previous experience with altitude i would say has mostly been in the colorado area which found me huffing and puffing but not sick otherwise and we were in um Peru in the Andes yeah, yeah. as well. And I would say that with the exception of not being able to breathe very well, that nobody in our group, su- su- group suffered any ill effects no. from the altitude. It was just, you noticed it because you got out of breath in a hurry, and doing things as you ordinarily would have no trouble doing. And when we did some hikes in the National Park, our beloved guides always walked very slowly, which gave them a lot of opportunities to point out birds and wildlife and give us a chance to catch our breath. So don't let the altitude scare you away is I guess what I'm saying. Uh, we did this with a small group travel company called Oat, o- o- Overseas Adventure Travel. 
And they uh, provided us with a guide for the 11 people on our trip, six of which we knew um, because we had brought them with us. So this was a very small group adventure and provided us with a lot of very personal information. And they specialize in uh, explore and discover which means that you don't spend a lot of time shopping, and fortunately the people who signed up for this tour knew that. They were all good travelers, experienced travelers. They knew the importance of being on time and going with the flow and not complaining about things like cold or rain that you can't do anything about anyway. And most importantly, they were people who were enjoying learning and discovering new things right alongside us, which made traveling with them a real pleasure. So this learning and discovery idea is something which which is, I think, pretty unique to Oat. Um, and we did some very interesting things. Um, we talked about immigration to Ecuador. And while we were walking down the streets in Quito, our guide suddenly stopped in front of two 18-, 19-year-old young men and talked to them in Spanish. And quickly realized that they were immigrants, illegal immigrants from Venezuela, which if you've been paying attention to the news is in a really bad way in terms of its economy. And these young men had spent 14 days walking, walking. to Ecuador to, to, Ecuador to try to make enough money to feed themselves, which was no longer possible in their own country, and even try to send a little money back to their parents who really didn't want them to leave. But when you're young, you have an adventurous spirit, and that's what they well, they didn't really have much of a future. Venezuela just is not a place you want to be at this time. They said in the last three years, uh, the economic situation has deteriorated to the point where they could not live. They, they, they didn't have food. They didn't have any place to live, uh, even though their family was middle class at one time. And, of course, this really brings home what's happening in the United States. Ecuador didn't exactly welcome these guys, but they didn't kick them out either. And they were on the street panhandling. And our guide alertly uh, recognized who they were and and had them chat with us. And, you know, it was a fascinating experience. And that's the kind of thing when you have a group size of 11 that you can stop and get the realities of the world in your mind a little bit um, and see how the rest of the world really lives. At the same time, we also had a chance to interact with street vendors and try some of the street food, which our guide uh, helped us with. Things we would probably never, ever do on our own because you're afraid to eat things off the street. But he knew exactly what uh, would be <laughs> safe and interesting well, uh, uh, not necessarily tasty <laughs> but uh, would be interesting so uh, we all had a chance to try these things and when you're a group of 11 you can you can kind of wander around and be uh, talking to vendors and people without creating a big stir whereas if you have a bus of 40 you're always too big and there's it's pre-planned everything has to be pre-planned a lot of the things we did were just plain spontaneous sp uh, spontaneous and on the spur of the moment so and, that's and when i look back on it our guide really had a plan in his mind as regards markets we love to go to markets when we're overseas they're always very photogenic but wandering around and taking pictures of weird fruit only takes you so far 
So the first time our guide took us to a market, we wandered around and tasted the this strange... This is a local market. ...strange fruit, which he cut up for us, and he told us the names, which I immediately forgot, and that was very interesting. But the next time we went to a market, he gave us each a dollar and said, I want you to go buy something that you think that I you don't know, know what, what it is. It is. <laughs> and, and check it to see if he knew what it was. And that, of course, gave us a very different focus than just taking pictures of things. <laughs> um, we, of course, what did... <laughs> we brought back like a glad bag of dried brown substance we didn't know what it was was. but it turned out to be dried blood (laughs) which the ecuadorians use as use as a thickener for their soup and then the piece de resistance on the last day we were there when we all trusted him implicitly is uh when he said um, we're going to one more market and i want put all your prejudices aside and have your eyes wide open for a new experience and we proceeded to have an encounter with some local ladies who had a, a medical office i'm oh, using that yeah. in quotation marks um underneath the stairway in this mall and they proceeded well it wasn't to, exactly a mall to do what he called a cleansing process yes. which began with with um, getting beaten with herbs <laughs> and rubbed with a raw egg this inside the shell and um, getting like baptized with ashes like Catholics do on Ash Wednesday on our bellies and on the parts in our hair and on our foreheads. And then they broke open the raw eggs and decided what was by wrong with us at the yolk. by looking at the yolk and cleansed us. And then they took some liquid and spit it on us. <laughs> Down your back. Oh, they put yeah, they put ashes. Oh. Yeah. Um, and the the woman next to me, Susan, was just a little bit ahead of me, so I could see them <laughs> spit on her. And I knew what was coming, but it was still so cold and so weird. And our guide did ask them not to spit in our faces, which is normally part of the cleansing routine. <laughs> but when on earth would you ever have an experience like that on your own or on a conventional bus tour? And then when would you want one? We, but we laughed so hard. But the thing is that people th- throughout the world have various religious or sacrifice—I don't know—experiences like customs this, and customs and beliefs. And our guide honestly believed that this had some medical benefits for some and, people. At some and that times. he, as a kid, uh, was uh, sickly, and he went to a, an exorcist. A cleanser. Cleanser. And it took care of his sickness. And so he's been a believer ever since. And and you you have a hard time denying that that. uh, because it's it's his experience. And the same thing happened to his son. Our guide was uh, in his mid-30s and had some children and took his son was having a chronic illness and took him and was healed by a shaman. So I, what can I say? But this is why we travel and this is what makes travel very interesting is to see the various uh, ways that people go about solving their daily problems. So it was very interesting to go. And that was just in Quito. <laughs> yeah, we even talked about the rest of the country. You know, there are so many plants and vegetables and fruits that we just have no idea what they are that they're there that they had we drank juices from plants i'd never even heard of and ecuador because it is on the equator and has 12 hours of sunlight year-round has tropical fruits but when you start traveling up into the andes mountains where it's very cold these plants modify themselves immensely to the point where we saw a lot of orchids that were so small you almost needed a microscope to see them because that was the adjustment that the plants had made to the altitude so if you're interested in flora 
or birds, um, well, Ecuador course. is certainly a place that should be high on your list of places to go. And they grow these things for export. Um, they grow orchids for export. They grow <laughs> roses, roses uh, for export. And we were very stunned at the vast quantity of, of roses. You could buy a no, it wasn't a dozen. It was 25, like 25. roses for a dollar. Long-stemmed red roses. For a dollar eighty or something. Yeah. It was ridiculously expensive. Oh, of course, they were seconds, but because they weren't uh, going to the export market, but they were still beautiful flowers from what we were saw and so cheap. They grow them all over. And if you go to the grocery store at your house near your home, they probably have roses, and they're probably from Ecuador. Or, or, or Col- Peru or Colombia, yeah, that so, part of the world. Because they export them. And they said 24 hours, they're at your local florist ready for purchasing by you. Uh, obviously at a much higher price than what uh, we were paying. We didn't buy any because we didn't have any place to put them. But well, boy, you it was couldn't re- have gotten them home. It was, well, oh, no, but it was but beautiful. It, it was very tempting. And, and that just, smell. Oh. They would have these guys along the road just selling bunches of 25 roses for four dollars or something ridiculous they were making a little bit of profit uh by selling them but you know far below anything we could even think about here and that was just in quito another thing that made ecuador very easy to travel in is the fact that it uses the u.s dollar wow is that nice um since we have been there last uh they had a little war with peru (laughs) there was apparently um a long stretch of border in the amazon rainforest that was undetermined and that's what they fought over it because that part of the amazon has a lot of oil deposits and that's surprisingly made, made everybody interested um ironically the piece that ecuador lost to peru didn't have much oil in it mm-hmm. but ecuador makes a major part of its living from the oil and the war that they had with peru just totally devastated their economy and out of desperation they turned to the united states and asked could they please start using the u.s dollar as their currency and we kindly and benevolently said sure just send us all your oil we'll be happy to let you use dollars and We're so nice and that's the um, relationship that is maintained to this day so this is stabilized prices there and made it very easy as a tourist to figure out uh, what things easy. cost which was generally not easy, very easy. much and uh, that made it very easy we didn't have to go to an atm once us. because we brought enough cash to pay for the things we needed and everything was in dollars so you could use your regular currency that we use at home and there was no oop, i have to translate that to see if i'm getting a good deal or not you just you can bargain in dollars <laughs> the only thing that was kind of interesting at first we started getting back coins as change. Never a dollar bill. Never a dollar bill. And dollar bills were kind of in short supply. They use the U.S. dollar coin that we extensively. Didn't like. That we didn't like. Apparently, they took them in and decided that that was okay. So you now have a lot of uh, U.S. dollar coins in our pockets, which and they didn't I don't use, know if we can even spend them here or not. They didn't use pennies. They is are, that right? No, nothing I, I, was priced so that you would need a penny. Yeah, that was so way to they say kind it. of just rounded up and down so mm-hmm. that you didn't need pennies. But <laughs> it was interesting that way. And things were very, very reasonably priced. It was at least twice we had dinner for less than twenty dollars for the two of us. Big dinners, big dinners, and nice. I mean, and and everything was well. You bought some souvenirs. We bought a scarf, and it was like twenty-five dollars. Twenty-five, a silk scarf, and you bought a Panama hat. That was $80. That was the most expensive thing we bought, I think. I've decided I have to start wearing hats more. (laughs) Why? Because there's 
open space on the top of my head. Uh, to avoid sunburn? <laughs> to avoid... In strategic spots? I hate to admit it. <laughs> but <laughs> the well, reality of old age is creeping up on me. And so I'm going to be... The next time you see me, I will be in a Panama hat. Looking like a cool... Looking... Uh, like I don't know cool how cool... Dude. I don't know how cool this will be here, but... This was a very popular purchase among our group. Um, all the men except Bruce bought one so for the remainder of the trip we rode in our bus with a box a pile of hat boxes rattling around um as we went around the curves they migrated from one side of the bus to the other um and it was a very popular choice and panama hats are not made in panama they're made in ecuador they're made in ecuador the quality of the hat depends on how Tightly finely the wool weave is. And we bought the best weave. We did not. The best weaves are like $2,000. I bought a good weave. <laughs> <laughs> she has to call me on all this stuff. Can you well, believe that? Well, we got to get the Jeez. facts right. Well, I can, can I lie just a little? Not on a podcast. Oh, we have shit. to have integrity. No. <laughs> Now, of course, the main reason that Americans like us go to Ecuador is to go to the Galapagos, and that's why we were there once before. Uh, the Galapagos are an island chain um, of volcanic islands about two hours by air west of Ecuador, and the only way you can get to them is by starting in Ecuador and flying there. And The rules. And the whole island chain is a national park, although some people live there, and it's a constant quarrel with how many people should live there and how many people should be making a living fishing or doing whatever it is that people do that mess up the environment because the Galapagos Islands are a very fragile and fairly well-maintained environment that is unique in the world because the animals have no fear of us. Exactly. And even though um, it's a strange mix of animals because only certain animals could make it commuting two hours away by air (laughs) to the island well, that could be to swim. Exactly, or, or fly. fly. The animals that are there are uniquely tame and unfearful of us, which is always a mistake, but such a pleasure to be snorkeling in the water and have seals swimming right next to you and cavorting next to you. Boy, do um, I have some pictures. It was just an amazing experience. So you fly to the Galapagos, which is a couple hours, and then we got onto a small, small cruise ship. Uh, holding a total of 16 passengers with 10 crew members. So we had the amenities of a cruise ship, but the ship itself was very small. We know we had our own cabins with uh, private facilities, and it was air-conditioned and and all of that sort of good stuff, but uh, everything was on a very small scale. No entertainment, for instance. But uh, we had a naturalist on board for our group of 11, and... Every day we would get, uh, after getting onto the ship, we would uh, motor during the night uh, and in the middle of the day to transfer locations. And we would go to a different island or a different spot on the islands to see different types of animals in, in different environments. And we would take a hike. We would go in what are usually known as zodiacs, which are rubber raft boats, which in South America are known as pangas. There anyway. There anyway. And we would uh, have a wet or a dry landing on shore. There were no facilities, so dry landings were just because you got to step on rocks rather than jumping off into the sandy beach. 
And because it's all undeveloped, there are no real paths or trails per se, but there were markers here and there that let us know the approved route. Uh, the people who administer the Galapagos Islands do what I think of as a giant square dance. There are all mm-hmm. these islands and all these places to stop and visit on all these islands, and they want to keep the impact of people as low as possible. So somebody has this giant master plan about <laughs> what, what time period you are to be in this particular spot, and then you better get the hell out of there because somebody else will come and immediately after you leave. And so that meant that we felt pretty alone most of the time, although occasionally you could see the group ahead of you or behind you uh, coming or going. When you are wandering around amidst iguanas (laughs) or fairly unexpressive creatures with stoic faces, you never know for sure whether you are stressing them out or not. But we happened upon um, a sea lion who had just given birth, and I felt rather bad for her that we were in the area. Although, again, you couldn't really tell that it made much difference no, to her. No. And it's, they said that if the mother had actually been giving birth while we were there, they we would have, have had to leave. We would have vacated the area. Yeah. But that's really something to see. I mean, we saw a baby seal that was sea lion. Our sea lion. Sorry, yep. there was hours old the afterbirth was still attached and we got quite close to them and certainly with the zoom lenses that we had we were able to to see everything there is to see with afterbirth (laughs) if you want to but this was just one of the things we saw because the animals there you have to give way to the animals and they have the right of way and they uh if they want to come up to you they can but you're not allowed to go within six feet of them but they were very Accommodating. You didn't need a long lens to take great pictures because uh, they were there uh, and they didn't move. You know, the birds, you could walk up to them and the chicks and they would just do whatever they were doing. Whether you were there or not. Right, even though you were only six feet away. So that's quite an experience that you don't have anyplace else in the world. Well, not anyplace else in the world, but it's it's unusual that you find this type of thing. And they have some very unusual animals. And most of these animals were not in the least bit dangerous to us, no, no matter how no, close no, we right, got to yeah. them. It's not like Africa where you're worried about cozying uh, up to a lion. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. The, a seal could bite you, maybe. That's about as much as danger as you could be in. And there were sharks in the water, but we never got not. very close to yeah, them. Yeah, they're either. famous for the hammerhead, which apparently is not... We, we didn't see it. Is a vegetarian shark. Is a vegetarian shark. <laughs> <laughs> At least that's what they say. And we did this time do snorkeling. Last time we, we didn't do snorkeling. It's really hard to believe that someplace on the equator is actually cold. I mean, on the boat, we we barely ever had the air conditioning on because it was frankly cold. Why is it cold? The Humboldt Current, which is coming all the way from the Antarctic to chill the waters in the Galapagos area this time of year. So we found that the high season for Galapagos travel was between January and May because that's when the warm water current is there and the seas are very calm. But there's a lot more rain. So we felt going in August was a good time, um, even after having been there. But the water was cold and, of course... You can imagine how I look in a wetsuit. But you had to have it. But you had to have it. And even then we were cold. So they provided uh, wetsuits and uh, snorkeling gear. And as I said, the last time we, we didn't bother to – I don't know why we didn't do snorkeling. We it just wasn't have, appealing. We didn't have wetsuits and they didn't, they didn't have them. They didn't have them? Okay. On that boat. That's I don't why. remember that exactly. Yeah. But 
But this time, they they strongly recommended that you go snorkeling, and we did. Less than half of us did. Less than half of us did. Well, a lot of people don't feel comfortable in the water, in the water snorkeling. We feel we've snorkeled all around the world, so that wasn't the issue. The best underwater pictures I got, though. Were <laughs> from above the water. Uh, of course, so I had my underwater camera with me. I talked about it last time. I got the Olympus TG6 uh, brand new, and I was testing it out. And we were in our pangas driving around, and uh, we saw stingrays under the water. And I just took the camera, and I leaned over the side of the rubber raft boat and just stuck the camera in the water and started shooting. And, boy, did I get some pictures that are just uh, – Hopefully you'll have a chance to see them on our website. I, the the things that you always hope for. I had a school of stingrays, manta rays. No, rays? they weren't mantas. They had freckles. Freckles, freckle rays. Speckled rays. And there must have been fifty or sixty. And the water was nice and clear, so calm. So I got some great pictures, and then I got some other pictures at another time of seals coming up and trying to eat my camera. So that's quite a. They're so curious. You have an opportunity to see all these things. Um, I wasn't overly excited about the snorkeling. No. Uh, the water wasn't that clear, and I didn't think the, the first day was the best. The, the coral and stuff was not that spectacular. So, you know, it it depends a lot on when you go. It's nature. It's, it's not nature. Disney right, World. Right, right. Uh, but we had plenty of opportunities to do it both from the pangas as well as from the shore. So depending on how you like to snorkel, you could do it. Um, but there were nice reefs and things, and so we did get some great underwater pictures, but not from snorkeling. Although, although I did that really nice picture with you with the tor- with when the swimming with the with tortoise. A sea tortoise. That's right. I did get a nice video. Yeah. Martha's swimming along, and this tortoise, which is as big as you are, yeah, it's swimming right next to me. Swimming right next to her. I was trying to stay out of its way. It kept swimming. I know. Yeah. Gently toward me. So. The wildlife experiences that we had were were really amazing. Worth it. Yeah, and uh, it's a, a totally unique experience. Uh, that was the kind of the centerpiece of our experience, and we also went to the Amazon, the part that isn't burning. We went down the Napo River. We took a, a very short flight, a forty-minute flight from Quito to a town called Coca Coca, and then we got on a Long river boat. It wasn't a panga. They called it a kayak, yeah. but it was long held. A, it was big enough for all of us in our bags. 25 people. And we got on this. It was run by 200 horsepower outboard motors. And we got on the river for about three hours and went to our outpost. Um, this outpost was nice. And it was uh, designed for tourists. But it was basic. They're really in a conundrum there. They've made a deal with the devil to sell their oil to us or whoever. And oil drilling, no matter how you do it, is a messy, dirty job, and it really wrecks the environment. So in this particular area, the indigenous tribe that lived in that area decided to go another direction. And they took all the land that they still owned and made it into sort of a resort. And we were staying in one of their two lodges, which is kind of in the middle of their community. Everybody who worked at the lodge, lived there. Uh, the guy who came and picked us up lived there, and they really knew the area because it was their home. 
Um, it also meant because the oil people were never all that far away that we had amazingly good Wi-Fi, which we didn't <laughs> expect while we were in the rainforest. And unlike its name, we didn't have any rain there until the last day, but they did issue us um, well, this was the dry season. mud boots to wear just in case because most of it and was, was um, soil that yeah. would have gotten really gloopy if it did start to rain. And we traveled around with a naturalist who would go 30, 40 miles an hour down the river and then come to a screeching halt because he spotted a boa constrictor in a tree branch somewhere. <laughs> and, and, you'd have to say, and the rest of us where, would where, spend where 10 minutes it? trying to figure out <laughs> what he where? saw, where he saw it. I mean, I just felt like an and idiot. And I didn't really see it until I looked at my pictures. He says, it's right there, it's right there. But I took pictures of it, and not until I looked at the pictures did I actually see the boa constrictor. And it's a great picture. And, Once you look at it. And how they saw it, it just blows my mind. Yeah, these guys are really spotting animals. And, they and, and of course, the forest there, unlike in the Galapagos, um, the animals are Hiding. At, qu- at quite a distance. Right. And they are not easy to spot unless you're with somebody. But, boy, once you spot them, are they colorful and beautiful. And and if they move, that helps a lot, too. We saw a lot of monkeys uh, swinging from branch to branch, and they were easy to spot when they did that. Right. The other thing that really blew my mind is they told us that nearly all of the, uh, call, call them fruits and vegetables that animals eat in the Amazon, are toxic to them. And so all of these animals have developed some way to remove the toxicity from their bodies. And in the case of the parakeets, they had to eat this certain clay, which was found in certain spots and made it easy for our guides to take us to those spots and give us a chance to see those parakeets. And we saw them in abundance. Which was was another mind-boggling experience. I mean, there were 100 parakeets. Parakeets. Yeah. Blue and green. Blue and green. I mean, just all together, uh, (laughs) all eating this stuff off the wall. I don't know what the hell they were doing. Some kind of clay. Some kind of clay. Anyway, because they had some sort of element in it that they needed to neutralize the toxins. (laughs) He said if they didn't eat the clay at least once a week, they would die. Wow. It's mind-boggling. Yes. So the Amazon experience was much more like what you uh, might be thinking about. Um, They had to hack trails through the forest, so we had to stay on the trail. Um, unlike the Galapagos, which have almost no vegetation or very little vegetation, uh, so you could really walk almost anywhere without much of an issue. Uh, it was volcanic, so it would be hard on your feet if you didn't have decent shoes. But uh, in the in the Amazon, the, the you know the forest was just so thick that you could not walk through it unless somebody had made a trail. So we stayed on the trails. We didn't see a lot of people there either because it was just the the people from this lodge and. And every day we would get on the the canoes and take them someplace, and we would get off and, and walk around. And see what we could see. And see what we could see. And some days we saw stuff, and we went out uh, in the canoes just to kind of glide through the through the riverside and see what we could see along the banks, of which we saw quite a lot. We no, we didn't see anything, but the guys did, it, yeah. <laughs> and they would point it out to us. <laughs> we enjoyed. Uh, you feel so stupid when you do these things. 
We enjoyed a meal with a local family, um, and we're warned ahead of time that we'd be eating with our fingers, which I was fine with. Um, but but on the menu were these large larva things. If you've ever watched Survivor, there's usually some point in that show yes. where somebody has to eat something that's still alive. And one of the younger daughters in the family did eat them alive with great gusto. Um, you didn't try now, the, it at all, did you? No. I ate one that was steamed, and I ate one that was grilled. I mean, these were – how big were they? But as long as my finger and oh. fatter. Oh, yeah, bigger than yeah, yeah. bigger than your yeah. finger. They were white with a black head. And when I ate it, it burst open with a feeling of, like, bacon grease. Um, but the skin was just so chewy, I had to spit it out. Um, that was the weirdest thing I ate there. That was weird enough. That was weird enough. And it was not mandatory. It no. wasn't like served for dinner. No, no, no. Well, it was one of the dishes. It was one of the things that you could try, and not everybody tried it. And then we went to a market. This was a surprise, though, kind of to me, is that we went to a a market where they were selling fish and junk like that. And they had these, these uh, grubs for being barbecued and selling to people. So they, I mean, actually, just ordinary people in they, the town, they were actually buying them and, and eating them. They put and them on, on a, a skewer. On a stick, like a shish kebab. Like a shish kebab. And you... <laughs> These, they were about two inches long with a black head, and they had skewered them on a shish kebab stick and and grilled them. Grilled them. Mm-mm. And what were the, what kind of grubs were they? They they actually grow them. They harvest them. I don't Isn't remember. That? Oh boy, things people eat. I'll tell you. Well, you got to be hungry. No, I think they like it. Yeah. I mean, that, at that market, I mean, there were... That was what you ate. There were 50... Not well. I mean, they had fish and they had other... Chicken. Chicken and all sorts of other stuff. And that was another place where we saw some interesting herbal stuff, too. Yeah. Um, when you live that far away from doctors and medicine, um, you have to rely on yourself. And over the years, I've read about many pharmaceuticals that we consume regularly in Western medicine that were originally discovered in the Amazon. So these people we were interacting with, their grandparents are the ones who discovered it. And since they couldn't go to a doctor to get it in a pill the way we might, they were um, selling what were like old used water bottles with liquid. <laughs> Liquid in them with a bunch of leaves of various sorts soaking inside. And some of them said things like prostrate health and sexual impotence and diabetes. And uh, people were buying them and medicating themselves as best they could. No, 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 no. We didn't do that. The Amazon was an interesting experience and a nice uh, adjunct to the Galapagos. And after that, we went to the Andes. And, of course, uh, actually, of course, Quito is in the Andes, and we did the mountain experience, which was quite chilly because we actually drove to 13,500 feet, which I don't think you can do in the United States. But there was a nice highway that actually took you to. Wasn't it the uh, Pan American Highway there? Yeah, yeah. the Pan American Highway yeah. went right over the Andes. And, you know, the, the we had one good day and one bad day, but... Uh, the good day when the sun was out and it was it was very scenic and beautiful. We stayed in the city of Cuenca, which is a Spanish colonial city um, that has done a pretty good job of maintaining their classic old colonial buildings that were built during the time when Spain was in charge of things. 
was as close to civilization as you mm-hmm. could get in in that part of the world. And we stumbled upon, with the help of our guide, the fact that there are many expatriates uh-huh. from our country who have moved to Cuenca. Um, some, Reti- expatriates, some, a.k.a. retirees. Um, some um, part-time, some just for the winter, who were drawn there by the nice temperate uh, climate, climate that Cuenca has there in the mountains. It's never real hot. It's never real cold. Um, the affordable housing. The perpetual spring. And he said in the last two years, there's been an incredible influx um, from our country from people who do not like the way things are going on here politically, which was kind of interesting to hear. We know that some of the people who have listened to our podcast in the past have uh, relocated to Mexico for some of those same reasons. And Ecuador had never been on our radar before, but that was interesting to hear. I think it's cheaper than Mexico. And a little bit more stable, and because you can use the dollar and free healthcare, and four hours from Miami is uh, a decent flight home, and quite a few flights to Miami right. or to, I think, uh, Atlanta and Dallas. So it was easy to get home if you needed to get home, and they had decent healthcare and health insurance was was like a couple hundred dollars a, a month, month for yeah. private uh, quality healthcare insurance. So things are quite a lot less expensive, and of course. Even a house and things like that were dramatically less expensive than here in the, in, in the United States or probably even Mexico and not overgrown like it is there. And because I think the population of expats there had reached a critical mass, it sounded like you could get by there without speaking good Spanish, which isn't something that I would advocate because it really isolates you from the rest of the community. But it sounded like you could live quite comfortably there as an aging American who would have to pinch their pennies over here. So if you're looking for someplace, oh, but of course, no RVing. No. <laughs> Did not see one campsite. No. Uh, other than for tents. The national parks had some tents. Tents, yeah. yeah. So you could tent yeah. camp, but That's I did it. not see an RV there, no, no. period. So the RV navigator will not be going there on a full-time basis. <laughs> <laughs> While we were there, we had some technology disappointment. Very recently, um, we have been forced by um, Apple to switch our magazine subscription from the Texture app, which we loved, to their News Plus app, which I noticed didn't work when you didn't have Wi-Fi. And since we spent goodly chunks of this trip without Wi-Fi, I didn't like it that all my magazines that I thought I had downloaded disappeared. Um, I spent um, a long Monday before we left on the phone with Apple hoping to remedy this problem, and News Plus worked pretty well for two weeks, and then all my magazines disappeared again. So as soon as I'm in the mood to be a bitch on the phone again, I'm going to give Apple another call and say, what the hell is wrong with News Plus? Because Texture worked so well. I don't know why they switched. So that's my R&R. How about yours? Oh, I had a big issue with my iPhone. And this is kind of a lesson for everybody. I don't know how this happened, but it could happen to you. If it happened to me, it could happen to anybody, I guess. Somehow, I I tried to type in my phone's password more than 10 times incorrectly. But you didn't. But I didn't. Somehow in my pocket. I thought that. Somehow in my pocket, it had sensed. I don't know. I, I didn't even know the phone was on. I took it out of my my pocket, and it said, "Your phone is disabled. Please connect to iTunes." Which, when you're, which I thought, well, that's a really strange request. Which, when you're nowhere, is hard to do. <laughs> Very hard. And 
It was bricked. I mean, it would not do anything else. So when I did get an internet connection, I typed in those words to see what it was, and it says, that's because you have incorrectly typed in your password more than 10 times, and Apple then disables your phone. But you hadn't. Uh Uh-huh. That's exactly right. I don't know how it happened. It was in my pocket. I didn't know it was on. Whatever. And I must have touched it. I mean, it's supposed to be only touchable by your hand. I don't know. I don't know what happened. But my phone was bricked. And according to the description, when that happens, you have no alternative. The phone is dead. You cannot use it, and it will never work again unless you restore it, unless you put it back to factory specs. Now, can you believe that? I, I guess that's a security feature, but it was very disconcerting for me because once I got internet and I restored it, it was not my phone anymore. It was it factory was settings. Factory settings. And that's the only alternative. It says, it said on the thing, you are going to lose all of your data that was on the phone unless you have it backed up. Did you have it backed up? Yes. Yay! <laughs> and I did not have it backed up to the cloud. Which was good also. Why was that good once you had Wi-Fi? Because it doesn't back up everything to the cloud. Uh-huh. And I had it backed up on to my, your laptop. my laptop. And I could connect it to iTunes, which was on my laptop. <laughs> if you don't have a laptop, you don't have iTunes. And many of our colleagues traveled without laptops. It's expensive. Uh, uh, it's heavy yeah. to carry around. So fortunately, I had backed up my phone about three weeks, well, a couple weeks before we left, three weeks from when I had this incident, and I was able to restore my phone almost completely from the backup in iTunes. So let this be a warning to you. Don't ever type your password in more than five times without... <laughs> Give yourself a little bit of, of of room there, because if you type it in ten times, your phone is literally there's nothing that anybody can do. It's bricked, and it will be the only thing you can do is set it back to factory specs and start over. If you don't have a backup, you're dead. When I call Apple up and yell at them, do you want to call up and yell at them too about why this happened? Um, no, because I mean that's they've obviously designed it. But that how way. could you have typed your password with your phone inside your pocket? I don't know. I don't understand. I that. must have touched. I don't know. I, it's it's completely beyond explanation. You have to expressive me. thighs. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you, because you, you, it's only supposed to be your finger which types yeah. it, and I. And quite frankly, I have trouble with my finger because uh-huh. it often doesn't sense my finger. Um, that's why I'm even more amazed. And your phone has the photo recognition yeah. login too, well, which I almost always use right. my facial recognition. Right. So I don't right. see, I don't often type in the password, right. and I don't know why. As I say, I don't have any explanation, but it happened. There's no question that it happened. No, for no. whatever reason, the phone. You, you're in this situation, and you have no recourse. Apple cannot help you. They they specifically say once this happens. The game is over. No, would our nephew-in-law say to you that's why you should have an Android phone? Well, somebody at the TSA border would say that's why you should have an Android phone because then we can get into it. But Apple would say, look, mm-hmm. we're, we're protecting you from mm-hmm. people trying to get into your phone and, and retrieving your data without you knowing. That's the conundrum. And that's, yeah, that's always the knowledge. I have never had this problem before. And I hope you never have it again. <laughs> but you, I do have a backup. You were ready. I was semi-ready i didn't lose hardly anything right in 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 the long run uh it it took me a long time to restore because i had to download podcast three and a half well three and a half 
gigabytes for this operating system uh-huh. just to put it just to restore it and uh-huh. if you don't have a decent data connection of course if you don't have a decent data connection you probably you don't aren't need gonna a phone anyway. <laughs> yeah but you could listen to your podcasts yeah i couldn't i couldn't do yeah, anything they were right? all i lost I, yeah i lost all that stuff i had to download all the episodes of my podcasts again so and then problem number three i lost my watch no i didn't lose my watch my watch stopped working I think this was a prearranged dilemma. Well, but I know that on September 10th that Apple's going to be introducing a brand new one. So now I will... How can I argue with a man with no watch? I'm skipping it. What am I wearing here? An analog watch. Can you believe that? Oh, no. But my trusted Apple watch stopped working. We don't know why We don't know that way. Yeah. So that's another... The moral of the story is to bring backups as much as you can anticipate. And yeah, well, was- and, and and just as an aside here, um, I always recommend backups, and because I took about seventy five hundred pictures, oh my, and that turned out to be about one hundred and seventy gigabytes worth of data, I have those backed up at least twice. So if you are taking your camera, be sure to do think about backups and don't just put it on your memory card as i've seen so many people do both on this trip and other times when they have every picture they've ever taken on a single memory card and that's the only place it resides until they put that's it on they facebook have their or their grandchildren someplace. from birth to present right <laughs> and uh, the cards are big enough these days so that you can handle that but it's not a very safe thing to do so i bring along uh these days i've been I, i've been using a SSD, a little tiny SSD drive, which is very nice and very fast so that backups happen quickly. And I can strongly recommend that to our listeners that you look into Amazon uh, under SSDs and uh, pick up a small SSD drive because they are fast, small, don't use much power, and you're going to be able to hook them up to the new iPads. What new iPad? Um, the new Your iPad still works. Uh, you- well, I might have one for sale pretty soon. Uh-huh. If anybody's interested in a in a almost new iPad uh-huh. with nothing wrong with it besides that it has the old Apple connector on it. Let's well, take care of the watch first. September 10th. Okay. Mark I'll, it on your calendar. Now, see, Martha has version 4. I have version 3, so I'm going to be getting version 5. I skip a generation. That's fair, isn't it? I guess. It did break. It's the iPad I'm questioning. Oh, well, you you talked about getting a new iPad too. No, I didn't. Mine you just, said the battery was. Mine has a poopy battery. Yeah. So, you probably will want a new iPad. So have so we you, thoroughly so, exhausted the topic of of Ecuador, Ecuador and Galapagos? Well, not really. I would like to put up a ton of pictures, but I probably won't. This is the, purportedly an RV podcast. Yeah, and there are lots of pictures. Y- you know, you journal during the trip. I journal every time we go somewhere. And I do the maps using. Track My Trip. That's an app. That's an app, which is a lot of fun to use, and I would strongly recommend it. And but, not, not hard. But we have uh, other people who use other, other software, and we're going to recommend, we're going to ask you to take a look at. Uh, you use, what, what is it? My Trip Journal. My Trip Journal. That's so a website. MyTripJournal slash. Dot com. Dot com slash And mine is slash Wiseman. But, and you don't use any of these others? So no. You don't know anything about them? No. Created by Travelers for Travelers, Drifter. 
D-R-I-F-T-R, is designed as a social network for those who like to hit the road. The app supports photos and videos and encourages sharing reviews and travel advice. Create your own travel blog instantly, quickly, and easily find the best places to stay, attractions, places to eat anywhere while taking advantage of our exclusive offers. Hmm. It's helpful planning a trip as well. The app is free for iOS and Android. Is it international or just for the U.S.? I don't know. You haven't used it? No. Uh-huh. Also recommended is Bond Journal. B-O-N-J-O-U-R-N-A-L. is perfect for travelers who want a simple interface for documenting activities. The app makes it easy to share travel journals via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Not sure if you want to share every moment of your trip? Bone Journal's privacy settings allow you to keep some entries to yourself. You can collect all the moments, stories, and photos of your journey into a single attractive narrative. The app is free for iOS. I couldn't find an uh, an Android version. And the last one is the app Polar Steps automatically tracks your route and places your visited just carry your phone it's called polar steps p-o-l-a-r-s-t-e-p-s just carry your phone in your pocket and the app creates your own beautiful travel journal once connected to the internet your travel routes locations and photos are seamlessly transferred to your personal traveler profile where your route is plotted on a colorful world map that can easily be shared with friends and family the app is free for ios and android Sounds like something worth looking at, and the examples they have are nice. So take a look at our website, and we will provide you with those links. Um, and that will get you started on journaling, because everybody likes to see where you've been. and We like to see where we've been. Right. <laughs> and we'll provide links to our blog, as well as our map, uh, on our website for this month. So if you want even more exciting details about our trip to Ecuador... On a daily blow-by-blow basis... There it is. There it is. You'll be able to see it. We also found kind of an interesting new book, uh, Living in an RV. Uh, When my husband and I started full-timing, we knew nothing about RVing. We made it up as we traveled to all of the states, constantly Googling things like how to RV and what is boondocking. Meanwhile, we flooded the bathroom, took ice-cold showers, and got stuck in the mud. Now they've written a book three years later about living in an RV, and for the novice, this might be a good book for you. I provided the Amazon link to it on our website. It's called Living in an RV. Things to think about before you do it. Uh, One of our members of the uh, Facebook page asked a question about backup cameras. And as I said to him, I don't have much experience with that other than the fact that our manufacturer puts the backup camera in the coach. The coach. But I did see this link to a brand new device, which <laughs> I, I never really thought about this, but it is a rear view camera that re- <laughs> the screen replaces your rear view mirror with a wide angle camera in the back of your vehicle. When you put it in reverse, it shows you what's behind you. Well, I think it does it all the time. Oh. Backing up a trailer can require at times a barrage of mirrors and external cameras. The effect on the RVer might be one of whiplash from checking corners in his fun house, in fun house of, images. of images. But this device provides a wide angle rear view camera that fits on your rear view on mirror. On your rear view mirror. Of your truck. This is for people who are towing a, a trailer. 
or a fifth wheel. Put on anything. I suppose. And so that it gives you 170 degrees view, of view all uh, in one place, all rather than pl- right moving all. from side to side looking at all your mirrors. And it's high definition, blah 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 blah. So not cheap. Not cheap. How much is it? Four ninety nine, I think. Ooh. But it might be an answer for some people, and it should be pretty easy to install. I would think that it would be much easier than putting a camera on the back of your. Anyway, so you better might want to than take running a look at. into a tree. And where will you find the link for this? On, on the, the RV, RV Navigator, Navigator web page <laughs> for this month, which is September 2019. So, what will we be doing this month? We are going to be RVing. Yes, we are finally. going Back to in the upstate RV. New York area for a national Numar yes. rally. The manufacturer no, the, of no, our no, 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 international international because some Canadians are coming. <laughs> So we hope to encounter a few helpful repair people while we were there, are there, and do a little tourism in upstate New York. Yeah, we're going to spend uh, three, four weeks doing this. We are. I think so. Oh, that's a long time. Weeks? We want to do the harvest. The, the, the show is a week. Harvest hosts. Yeah, we want to do harvest while hosts. we're there. We're going to try that out. We, we intended to do it this summer, but it didn't didn't get around to it. So we're going to try out our harvest host memberships because there are lots of wineries and farms and things in upstate New York, which should be interesting. And we'll be there probably during fall color time, so that might also be interesting. Well, it might be a little early, mid September, right? No, end of September. So the next podcast mm-hmm. will be brought to you while we are on the road mm-hmm. from the motorhome. So you might be in a campground near us. There's potential. Especially if you're in Harvest Host. <laughs> so if you're not a member of Harvest Host, uh, maybe you want to take a look at it. We're gonna we'll let you know what we think of yes. it. So far, we only know about it in theory. Yes, but uh, it gets pretty good reviews from a number of people if you're into boondocking. And we can certainly do that without much problem. So... With that said, we will turn it over to next month, and we hope to see you in a campground near us in the month of September. Happy travels. Bye now.